coming up on the Smitty and Mitty Show this week. Our guest on the show is TSN personality Jay Onright. Plus Blue Jays, golf, and more on the Smitty and Mitty Show. And now... Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Start your engines! 90% of the time, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. The show that's got everyone saying... You're so dumb, for real. With Smitty. What you just said is one of the most idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Mitty. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? you. That's my name. This is the Smitty Mini Show. All right, we are back here. Smitty and Mitty on the Smitty and Mitty Show for another week. Uh, Good to be back in studio. Mitty, not with me in studio this week, but uh, uh, he will be next week. Big thank you to our sponsors, Goldline Curling, the Choice of Champions, and Dave Middleton at Sun Life Financial in King Carden. Life is brighter under the sun as well. Make sure you check out uh, the Jack Dory Memorial Dirt Bowl coming up at the beginning of August. We are a partner with them in that event. Mr. Middleton, how are you doing? Hope you are doing well on the other side of that screen. I'm babysitting today, so I couldn't come over. Is it babysitting if it's your own child? It is if you're the father. Gotcha. That's how it works? Yeah. Yeah, we're supposed to be distant. Not there all the time, just kind of hopping in and out, teaching the things we need to teach. We don't, we're not supposed to be the ones, you know, talking to them in bed. I can't do it. Gotcha. I, I put her, I put her in bed. She screamed for an hour and I just got just as frustrated as she did sitting out in the living room, watching her on the camera, stand up and scream. So we're not built for this. No, it, it doesn't seem like a job up your alley, to be honest with you. But uh, you're doing a great job. Obviously, she's not screaming right now because we are recording. So uh, kudos to you, my friend. You did a fantastic job at putting the young one to sleep tonight. Only an hour and a half late after her bedtime. I finally got her to pass out. Nobody has to know that. And it's just because she screamed long enough that she got so tired she fell asleep. Well, it, it sometimes happens. I've been there before myself. You just sit there and cry. So exhausted that you finally will fall asleep. It will happen. Every time the leaves lose, that's what I do. I sit there and I cry until I fall asleep. Well, does it make you feel any better that the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning are on the brink of losing in the Stanley Cup final? And actually, as I say this, it could be over by the time this gets out. So They definitely could have lost. And they probably, like, if I was to be a betting man, I would probably put my money on the Avalanche to win at home in, in game five and just take care of business while they're there. That's is it, that's probably their best and only chance, no, is to take care of it in five in Colorado. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be, I wouldn't be happy if I was a Colorado Avalanche fan, if they lose in game five and that series has to go back to Tampa Bay another time, then things start to look a little bit bleak, right? Cause now you're looking at possibly having to come back home for game seven after being up three, one, because Tampa Bay tough to be, uh, let alone once at home in a series, trying to do it more than once. Uh, I think that could be a tall task. Well, if you just let the the two time reigning champions put their foot in the door, they're they're going to take advantage of that and break it wide open. I mean, if 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 Tampa Bay can find a find a way to win on Friday night, take it back home, win again in Game Six on home ice, which is very doable. I mean, I'd say they're favorites going into Game Seven pretty easily. Did did you see Nazem Kadri coming back for Game Five, back in the lineup? and scoring the overtime winning goal. I did see the goal and obviously the confusion around the goal when it first went in. Um, but I did not 
understand. And I was looking on Twitter the day after and the day after that and trying to figure out why everyone was so upset. Did I, did I miss something obvious on the play? I think, and, and don't, uh, don't quote me for this because I, I, I don't think it's the correct thing. People were angry. They thought there was too many men because when you look at it, I believe it's McKinnon heading to the bench and he is kind of still two feet on the, on the ice coming off the bench when there's five avalanche players in the play. And I mean, that's just a play that happens a hundred times a game where you're going to have a guy just kind of straggling over to the bench. And just because it's, you know, overtime does not mean you tighten up the line change like that. That would have been a pretty tough too many men to call. And also if you look at it, just look at the screen, the Tampa Bay lightning have seven players on the ice because they have two heading to the bench. So, I mean, you're just kind of picking straws to, you know, to break here. That's that, that had nothing to do with the outcome of what was a phenomenal hockey game. And, and from what I understand and saw in line, did it, it doesn't look like it had any impact on the goal itself, right? They didn't score because there was an expert guy on the ice. People are just now uh, picking it apart, looking for anything, any reason to try and be upset at the officials. That's what it looks like. At least people are always just trying to find a reason to be upset at the officials. That's, that's like the goal of every hockey fan and hockey team and hockey player is to find a reason to, to yell at the officials. Cause why not? Did you see, first of all, a couple more players uh, defecting, I guess, heading over to the live tour. Uh, John Rom being one of them heading over. Colin Morikawa was supposed to be, he was rumored to be one of the players that might be leaving. And with a very emphatic tweet, he said, I am not leaving. And he also wrapped up the tweet by mentioning something about going back to putting his cereal in his milk. Okay. Is that the weirdest thing you could ever do? <laughs> oh, sorry, going back to putting his cereal in his milk. Cereal in his milk. Not milk in his cereal. The normal person would go yeah, sell, yeah. would go cereal, milk on top. He, he's, going, he's going milk and then cereal. Was this like a translation issue? No, he's American, so... But like, I did someone like miss here is what I meant. Like, is there like, it was his tweet. I don't know. That's... Apparently it's a normal thing that, that people, not, not a normal thing that some people do put their milk and then their cereal. It's well, supposed how, to keep... how are you supposed to know how much milk to put in? Because they, they fill the bowl with the milk and then they put like a scoopful of cereal at a time so that it stays crunchy. Just basically just get it moist. Just, just a little touch of milk and then into the mouth. If you're putting a whole bowl worth of milk in your cereal i think you're using too much milk no but the That's price of concern? milk nowadays like is that not way too much milk your concern is 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 the milk i just like that's not how i eat cereal i didn't think it's, anyone anyone cereal cereal. Like cereal. it's the weirdest thing that's ever been tweeted i think and there's some weird things that have, that are on the twitter sphere i that, you that need to spend more you need to spend more, spend more time on twitter if you think that's the weirdest thing ever tweeted because it's like it's like a weird place it's like the people who put butter on their pop tarts i once again did not know that existed that's a thing that's a thing people i mean not a lot of people because again very weird but it's a thing that people do it's not toast should the pga immediately kick colin morikawa off of the pga tour and send him to the live tour because of his cereal choice or 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 better idea 
does Kellogg's go to them and say, look, we want to be your main sponsor now. And all of a sudden he becomes Colin Morikawa brought to you by Kellogg's. How much more cereal can he put in his milk if he goes to the live tour? Or would it have to be the milk? Would he have to be a milk sponsor? Is the cereal any good over there? These are all valid and questions that need to be answered. You think that European, and it's not even European. I mean, they play in America too. They play pretty much everywhere, but or Saudi Arabian, I guess. You think the cereal is different? I think they're pretty Americanized over there, are they not? I've never been to Saudi Arabia. Me neither. I'm, I'm not planning on it, but the first thing I'm going to do if I ever get there is grab a box of cereal, I guess. Yeah, that is the first thing you're going to do. Write it from the airport. I need cereal. Where's the closest box of Fruit Loops? Uh, anyways, we've talked way too long about Fruit Loops cereal and whether or not milk goes before cereal or after cereal. Let us know on our uh, social media pages, I guess, because this is something that people do. Anyways, I feel like this would be a great conversation to have with Mr. Jay Onright. And he is joining us here on the Smitty and Mitty show this week, a Canadian sportscaster uh, and with TSN. Jay Onright. Jay, thanks for hopping on the show and joining us this week. Always wanted to be on Smitty and Mitty, and here is my dream fulfilled. Well, congratulations, because you just made uh, the intro. You just made the intro to the show. Um, so how does, a, how does a young man from Alberta get to where he gets to? Where does it start? Well, it's, it probably starts in high school, just loving uh, sports television so much, and specifically highlight shows. You know, this is... Uh, dating myself a lot, but, uh, you know, high school for me is pre-internet, so it's television, it's newspapers, it's radio, and for us, uh, a lot of us in the late 80s, early 90s, um, it was the, the golden age of highlight shows, you know, we didn't have ESPN up here, but of course that's when, you know, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Craig Gilborn and those guys were, were killing it at ESPN, and then at the same time, Landsberg and Rod Smith and all those guys were killing it up here, Jim Van Horn. And I loved one show that we did get on TSN up here was NFL primetime with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. And I just loved those shows so much. And, and I was playing a lot of sports at the time in high school. So I didn't actually have a ton of time to watch, you know, full games. And so I loved highlight shows just as a catch up. And then what, what I really loved is the guys who hosted those shows and the girls who hosted those shows who had a little bit of personality. And it just seemed like such a fun thing to do. Uh, but it was very daunting coming from small town Alberta to even think that I could do this for a career. Um, so I put it off for a couple of years, went to the University of Alberta, took sciences, just basically, you know, farted around for a couple of years until I realized that this really was what I wanted to do. And I applied to uh, Ryerson, which I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call it Ryerson anymore. Um, <laughs> Toronto Metropolitan University, they call it now. Oh, so, it was Ryerson uh, when you were there, so it's Ryerson. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, so I applied there, uh, lucked out. Somehow I got in and uh, just kind of went from there. And obviously the journey has to start somewhere. Um is that the first time at Ryerson that you had got on camera or behind a microphone or anything like that to talk about sports? Or was it something that you had maybe done once or twice before that? Yeah, I actually, while I was going to the university of Alberta, you know, right away, I, I kind of realized I was in the wrong place. So I contacted the sports director from the local global station in Edmonton and he was super kind. You know, he said, listen, I cannot give you an internship because you're not in a broadcast program. 
and I cannot pay you because we have no money to pay you. But if you want to come to the newsroom as much as you want, we'll teach you how to write news and we'll show you how, how our TV newsroom works. And, and I jumped at the opportunity. I was there almost all the time. Even in the summer when I was working an hour and a half outside of the city, I would, um, I would drive in and, and volunteer for a few hours. And that's where I really learned to write news, saw how a television newsroom worked, um, and just generally kind of it reiterated and, and reinforced my desire to go into the business. It was so exciting to me to see, um, you know, to see it all in action and realize that, okay, maybe it's not quite as out of reach as I thought it was. If I can get into a good school, uh, I might have an opportunity, and uh, and that proved to be true. And it- I always wondered, and I might as well ask you while you're here, the schooling that comes with broadcasting and radio, how far ahead do you think it put you? How important was that to your career? Well, I think, you know, I can't speak for now, the way things are now, but when I did it, you had to do it. And you didn't have to do a four-year degree program like I did at Ryerson. Um, By all means, you didn't have to do that at all. Most programs were two years. And most of them were at schools like Nate's, like a technical school in Edmonton, or a college like Centennial in Toronto or Red River in Winnipeg. Those were usually where most people went to broadcasting school for two years. Um, the exceptions being Ryerson and Carleton with their four-year degree programs. But you did need something because ultimately the way to get into TSN, for example, was an internship. And the only way you could get an internship is if you were in a broadcasting program. So the education when I was there was super important. Um, I assume it still is important because there's just as many kids going into broadcast school as there ever were. Um, and, you know, from a TSN perspective, we still take all of our interns from broadcasting schools. So, you know, you look at it that way and, it, I'd say it's still extremely important, but I do still feel that you don't have to necessarily get a degree. Like a two-year diploma program is plenty. Yeah, and it, it, I went to broadcasting school, like you said, a two-year program at a college here in London. And <laughs> But you made it three years. I Continue. made it three years. It, the story goes on and on. But it shows that you can get experience elsewhere as well, whether it's volunteering it at local places, a local radio station that's not affiliated with the college, a TV station, a newspaper, whatever it is. Uh, it's always good to get those experiences outside of school. Was there anything that you did while you were at Ryerson outside of school that might have helped you get started into the career that you wanted to get into? Well, starting off, if you go back to the Global Edmonton thing I did, that helped me get into Ryerson. You know, that, that's proving your point. Like, it wasn't just grades, and it was the fact that I had volunteered already for two years at a television station that helped me get in. And they saw that I was serious about the business. And then when I got to Ryerson, uh, Rogers Cable was still kind of a big deal then in terms of a place where you could go and get, get you know, on-air experience volunteering of course but you know they were they were broadcasting also you know Ontario high school volleyball and college basketball and all that kind of stuff so I lucked out into my first year a sports reporter job with them and that helped me tremendously and then in the second year I managed to get a internship at TSN that was sort of a uh, a new internship that they were doing and a big 
part of the reason why I got that internship was my volunteer work outside of, of, uh, of school. So that internship I got at TSN was really what opened the door for me to have a career at TSN. So uh, ultimately, yeah, 100% agree with you what you're saying. You can't just rely on the schooling. Um, I suppose you can, and a lot of people do, and a lot of people end up with careers that way. But, uh, but if, you, if you really want to give yourself a great opportunity, um, volunteering outside of, uh, outside of your schooling is, is key, in my opinion. Now let's skip ahead to when you were part of TSN and starting on uh, Sports Center. Do you remember the first time the camera was put on you that somebody said action and you had to uh, to read what you're doing and, and now all of a sudden you're you're in front of millions of people? Well, it was different because again back then all the local TV stations were still thriving with full sports departments and and so it was. You know, right as soon as I graduated, two weeks later, because I had worked at TSN, and while I was at TSN, I put together a demo tape. The guys at TSN helped me put it together. They'd let me do, you know, reads on the desk and sportscasts at the desk, and they'd let me follow reporters down to Maple Leaf Gardens and Skydome, and I would, you know, bring my, my crappy jacket, and but I'd have a TSN mic flash, right? And I would have um, it would all be shot by professional camera operators. So by the time I was graduated Ryerson and I had worked at TSN for two years, uh, behind the scenes, I had this amazing on-air demo tape, all with TSN graphics and everything. So I was lucky enough to get a job two weeks out of school in Saskatoon. And it was amazing because at the time, the, all the global stations still had their local sports line shows. And I was doing a half hour sports highlight show as soon as I got out of school. And so there was no better training in the world for that. I mean, my whole thing with on air is it's reps. It's less to do with talent, more to do with repetition and doing it over and over and over. So to be able to have gotten that job at Saskatoon and then a year later, I got a job as the host of breakfast television in Winnipeg. And that was even better because it was three hours of unscripted television so it's just a great way to learn to think on your feet. And so by the time I got the call from the NHL network in 2001 to come out, I was supremely confident in front of the camera. And because I had worked, the NHL network was run by TSN. So because I had worked with these people before, um, it worked out really, really well um, to be able to come back and, and just kind of seamlessly become an on-air person again. And then a year after working at the NHL network on air, my boss asked if I wanted to fill in in the summer on, on sports center. And that was my dream, you know, to host sports center was my dream. And so it's, it was pretty exciting to, you know, kind of realize that dream. And I was probably less nervous than I thought I would be just because I was so well prepared. So, you know, that's my philosophy. I see a lot of people now just kind of jumping into national on air jobs, um, kind of right out of school and it just I'm so impressed because I could never ever have done that I would have been too rattled I think and you were part of one of the biggest uh, tv shows in Canada I would say at the time and but you were like that because you were silly because you were pushing the envelope you weren't just straight reading off a prompter you were doing things that made people laugh as well who or were you ever worried that they would allow you to do that? They being the powers that be allow you to joke around. And were you ever worried that, you know, if I go too far, I'm just, I'm going to be just as easy to take off camera. Well, it was a give and take thing. Like what people don't realize is when Dan and I started, it was, um, 
much more of a straightforward show than it ended up being in the end because we didn't know if we could push the envelope right away. So it was more gradual than people realize. Uh, we just slowly started to push the envelope here and there. And our boss, who's extremely supportive of us, was um, was of the philosophy that, you know, if he had to say something to us, he'd just call us to say, dial it back a little bit. And we kind of found this nice, happy place. You know, we found this great kind of spot in between goofy and information um, <laughs> that uh, allowed us to thrive. And so... One thing I've realized, you know, it, it's one thing to have the talent, one thing to have the idea, but in this business, you have to have someone who believes in you. You know what I mean? You have to have someone who has the power to make decisions to give you that opportunity. And that's what we had in our boss at the time. And because he did believe in us, we were able to kind of take our time, you know, work that give and take and find that sort of perfect sweet spot uh, where, you know, people wouldn't think it was too goofy, right? But it was also very unique and specific to us. And I think that's what made it so successful is it really wasn't an overnight thing where we were trying to hit people over the head with it. Um, it was more gradual that people remember. And when you guys got the show and you got together, um, people our, our age, me and Mitty here, born in the 90s, grew up watching sports center with you and Dan. Uh, when did you realize yourself that this show is big? Like this is a national show that kids love to watch uh, kids, adults, everyone loves to watch. Was there a time a year in or right away that you realized that, you know, this show, this show is pretty big. Yeah. I mean, probably the craft celebration tour that we did in 2012 and 2013, um, when we were drawing, you know, thousands of people to live shows in small towns across the country and then doing two hour autograph sessions when the shows were over. Um, that's, you know, obviously where we sort of start to realize, cause you're, you know, most of the time you're doing the show in a, you're doing it in a studio and you, you just don't have any concept of the reaction to it other than the ratings. And so, yeah, that was probably when we, it really started to hit us um, that, you know, the show had become so massive when, you know, suddenly we're doing these live shows in front of crowds and it's going over that well. Who came up with the skits? Who came up? Was it, just, was it purely you guys who were coming up with these silly antics? Yes. Yeah. So it was all us. All, we had no writers. We had no, uh, you know, we had writers but they were writing very basic highlight scripts for us, right? And then they were writing those scripts for everybody. Everybody used the same scripts. Um, and then, you know, you could ad-lib off of those scripts however you liked. And we just chose to ad-lib a whole bunch. And, and then the on-camera stuff was all conceived and conceptualized by us. So, yeah, it was, it was purely a two-man band and then really a three-man band with producer Tim because Tim was the person who you know, really loved our, our philosophy, loved our concepts, but also was much more mature and seasoned than we were and realized that once in a while we had to be saved from ourselves. So probably more, you know, more times than I'd like to admit, you know, Tim would, would uh, shut down an idea or, or fix a script so that we wouldn't offend someone. And uh, yeah, in hindsight, I think he, he really did 
you really did save our bacon in a lot of ways. And what was fun too is, you know, people just love the producer, Tim Angle, you know, like people love us talking about him. People loved us, you know, bringing him up. And um, I was going to say, I feel know, like he was the first producer. Tim was the first faceless uh, character on, on television where everyone beloved him, but really didn't know who he was. He was like, who, who even knew if he was real at some points, really? Well, a lot of people did thought we made him up. You know, a lot of people thought he wasn't real and, and he absolutely was. And, and he was a huge part of the whole, of the whole process, you know, to the point where, you know, when we went down to LA, he came down when we came back from LA, he came back with us. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, we were lucky. It just, you know, certain things you can't plan, right? Like it, you know, I didn't know Dan really until we started working together. I knew Tim because Tim and I had started at TSN together. I knew Tim really well. And I knew that his sort of mindset would work well for us. Um, but, you know, you just don't realize how well it's going to go until you do it. And once we did it, it was going great. So you moved to Fox Sports. You moved down to the stage, shocked the nation. When you got down there, was it a bit of a culture shock as in a different sports climate? Uh, being in the United States versus being in Canada? Oh, yeah. Like, in terms of what we covered, you know, it was like night and day because, um, you know, hockey was literally non-existent, and and it still is in that country to a large degree. And, you know, but having said that, one thing, probably the biggest, most surprising thing is how similar producing TV in Canada was to producing TV in the States. The only difference is, we had more money to work with down there. We had more people working on the shows. We had more uh, people everywhere, you know, like in front of the camera, behind the camera, uh, everywhere, just more people, more money uh, and more of everything. And it was just easier, you know, because you didn't have to do as much on your own. So, you know, it was surprising how, you know, and we had been, by then we'd been working in the industry for a long time. Right. So, we weren't intimidated by it and it was really, really fun. I, you know, and I look back at those four years extremely fondly because I think, you know, I'm comfortable in saying that literally no broadcaster, whether it was Dan Patrick, Bob Costas, Jim Nance, or whomever, no matter who you put for that FS1 launch, uh, no one would have succeeded <laughs> because we just, we didn't have the properties, right? We didn't have the live events that you need for a highlight show to succeed. And you need those lead-ins. You need a big live event, not every night, but once in a while to get those ratings up a little higher, average them out, and, and just help you succeed that way. We just did not have anything. And so it was pretty much an impossible task. And you know, when the four years were over, neither of us were surprised when our contracts weren't renewed. And I think by then, we also knew that the industry had changed so much from when we left in 2013 to when we came back to 2017, that if we were going to come back to, to Canada, we had to do it now. Because if we'd stayed another five years and we were coming back right now, for example, um, you know, the people who had originally hired us at TSN are gone. Um, who knows, you know, what we would have been facing. Though the gambling, all the gambling money out there probably would have saved us. But I guess my point is, it's just a different time now. So I'm really happy we came back when we did. And, and it worked out the way we did. We were able to come back and, and get a couple more years of it. Because we did feel 
when we left. Uh, bad. We I we just we didn't feel like we let people down, but it was like we had such a a, a beloved audience and. You know, we had to go because I think you have to challenge yourself in this industry and 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 we had to do it. And I absolutely don't regret it. But I'm also so sincerely thankful we were able to come back and sort of run it back again, if you will, um, for a few more years, because that, you know, that really made it uh, really kind of put the cherry on top of everything. I was going to I was going to ask exactly what you asked, if with all due respect, if you regretted moving down, because when you we're in Canada at the time. Like I said, one of the biggest shows in the nation, uh, eye drawing, you couldn't get any bigger from a sports prospect than, than you guys were. And then you go down to the States and then you come back and obviously the show is still amazing, but do you ever wonder what it would have been like if you just stayed here and kept the train on the tracks? I mean, it's a great question, but the problem is that it wouldn't have mattered. And certainly in terms of what happened to Dan and what happened to Tim, because like I said, the people who originally hired us, uh, they brought us back, but then were fired about a year and a half into our second run here. So no matter how, if we had stayed the whole time, left and come back, it didn't matter because the people who were, who were running the show after, after the people who we were hired by were fired, uh, just weren't, were not as supportive. And, and so, you know, that's about as, as nice a way as I can put it. So it really wouldn't have made a difference either way. So in that sense, I have zero regrets because the end result would have been the same. Now you talked about how when you guys went down to the States in 2013 and between that and the time that you came back in 2017, how much things had already changed in the sports media landscape. Uh, how much have things changed since you started? And what are, what's the biggest challenge now uh, that wasn't there when you got into the industry? Well, the internet is the number one answer, right? I mean, especially for what I do specifically, which is anchoring and hosting, um, and specifically highlight shows, you know, like, uh, you know, you know, uh, unfortunately, even though highlight shows are still so popular, you know, in the States, Sports Center of the States has just had a massive resurgence. People love watching it again. And I feel like we could have the same thing. We just don't get the support because the obsession is with the internet now. Uh, so, you know, that's life, right? That's technology changes. You know, I don't want to sound like a guy from, uh, from the forties who's upset that they're making motion pictures that where people are talking, you know, <laughs> like it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. And, 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 it, but you know, it goes back to what I said about, you have to have someone who supports you, right? Because, at ESPN, they have people who are right now who are big, big into the highlight process, big into these shows. And the results are that they're doing great again. Uh, we don't have that right now at TSN, unfortunately. So um, so it's a bit of a struggle for us right now, you know, just to try to, to, to even just to get our show produced. So that's the biggest difference right now is uh, competition for eyeballs is coming from so many different places. And then not just the Internet, but like all, even podcasts. Right. Like stuff that just did not exist when we started. There's so many other places to go to get your information. Um, it's, you know, that's, you know, even just apps. Right. Just the fact that you on your phone can look on your phone and check the score. You know, that's that's one of the massive, massive differences that, that we're facing now, for sure. We're getting right up against it. So last question for you. Uh, I just simply want to know what, what was your favorite skit you guys did? Did you have one that really stuck out that you just love doing every two seconds? 
boy, such a good question. I mean, there's been so many fun ones. Uh, I would say probably anything that involved, um, you know, like the sticky one was probably one of my favorites because every, you know, it was a great example of how organic everything was for us. And, how, you know, like not one single bit was planned before we got into work. Not one single one. So at no point was I at home thinking, oh, I'm going to do this tonight. Only when we got to work did we kind of get into that zone and then write something. So, for example, we literally were, you know, that was when stickies were a big deal. And they were all over the infomercials and stuff. And we got sent a couple to, to, to TSN. They sent them to Dan and I. And it, that literally was the whole crux of it. <laughs> they just sent us stickies, so we did a bit with stickies. And it ended up being so popular, you know what I mean? So it was a great example of like, um, I think uh, David Letterman kind of found, you know, sort of is credited with, um, and he's one of my heroes, and he's sort of credited with sort of creating what they call found humor, where it's like, you're just finding what's funny within the walls of your workplace. So like the way that Dave used his stage manager, Biff Henderson, as an on-air personality, or his camera operators as an on-air personality, the kind of things that we have done that's found humor, right? That's letting you, the viewer, you know, through the fourth wall and into our, into our studio space. And there's nothing to me as a consumer, as a person who loves sports media, there's nothing better than that, right? Like I love Dan Patrick because, you know, he's telling you about the Danettes and they're talking about their days and their, and everything that's happening with them. And, and you feel like it's more than a radio show. It's like a little family you're a part of. And that's what we always try to, to kind of establish with, with our show is this sort of feeling of family, right? This feeling that, uh, that you were, you know, part of something a little different, a little more fun and a little lighter because in the end, it is entertainment. You know, people sometimes forget like sports is entertainment. It's not news. So we had that little bit of leeway because of that and, uh, and obviously worked out great. I always like the Bobrovsky. I still find myself yelling that every now and again. Yeah. When I hear his name. And that's, a, that's one like to this day, it's so funny because I, you know, like, you know, why that caught on so much and why it still is the thing I'm most <laughs> known for. Um, you know, it's just funny to me and then I have no issues with it whatsoever. I think it's hilarious. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. You know, it's, it's awesome. So. I wouldn't yeah. say it's the thing you're most known for. I'd give you a little bit more credit than that, but uh, I would definitely say we did it two or three times before yeah. we were coming, getting it out of our system. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. That's totally cool. Anyways, we are uh, right up against it here, Jay. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, and have you on the show this week. And uh, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Curling features all the best of what people look for in a new pastime. Great sportsmanship, strategy, athleticism, and community. With nearly a 1,000 curling centers in Canada, there's probably one near you. If you're interested in trying curling, you can find all the information and equipment you need at goldlinecurling.com. Goldline, the choice of champions. I'm Dave Middleton, a proud Sun Life Financial Advisor, and I've got some fantastic ideas for the money that's building up in your bank account due to COVID-19. Make more and protect more. Visit sunlife.ca slash dave.middleton. Listen. 
We all know someone affected by mental health, and that's why we at the Smitty Mitty Show have joined forces with the Jack Jury Memorial Dirt Bowl, happening at 9 a.m. Saturday, August 13th at Pearson Soccer Fields in Port Elgin, Ontario. A day of flag football awaits you, concluding with raffles, auction, and dinner at the Queen's Bar and Grill. With over $30,000 donated so far this year, looks to be the biggest ever. For more information and where to donate, please visit the Jack Jury Memorial Dirt Bowl on Facebook. You're listening to the Smitty and Mitty Show. Welcome back to the Smitty and Mitty Show. That was Jay Onright, the Canadian broadcast legend, joining us on this show. Another one of those ones that you just get those butterflies in the stomach as soon as the, his name pops up on the Zoom. And uh, it was it was audio only for us for the people who got to watch uh, the TV. I'm, I'm excited to see what you do with the TV screen because. We didn't get to see him physically, but uh, he was on his way in to record, uh, to, to, to film, I guess. And uh, he was he was nice enough to hop on and talk to us for a little bit. An amazing speaker, way better than I am, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Um, an amazing conversationalist, a professional in the uh, in the profession. And it was it was a true honor to get to talk to a guy that. I think we can safely say influenced the way we do our jobs just a little bit. Influenced the way that we do our jobs, influenced the way that so many people watch and take in sports, right? I mean, just think about, uh, like, if you had to give me a guess on how many people your age growing up watch Sports Center, like, religiously, like, that's got to be a healthy percentage. Like, almost only- every single one of my friends would wake up every morning and watch sports center not only watch sports center but and then get to school and talk about what we saw in sports center not just the sports either the sports casters that were having you know the little skits the conversations the jokes between each other and did you see this this morning when dad did this oh my goodness oh it was so funny like we had those conversations sitting in the classroom and we probably should have been learning we were talking about sports center. It's not very often that a sports highlight show becomes a part of your morning routine in such a way that you feel like you need to share it with others. Like usually you sit down, you watch the sports and maybe you'll talk about what happened in the sports if something big happens. It's not very often you talk about the sports casters. No, it isn't. And, and but I mean, Jay and, and Dan on sports center for, for so long. And just remember the heartbreak when, when they moved down South, right. When they went out to FS one, it was just like, the worst like, there's people like crying like it was the worst thing imaginable to those of us who grew up watching sports center and we were just talking about guys that talk about highlights do some funny things and like, i was such an influence on us that that was my first year of college in the states the, the for their first year in uh, in los angeles and you know i brought the show onto the tv and told all the americans man you got to watch these guys they're hilarious and it just wasn't the same show. They didn't have the same freedom. They were kind of tied down a little bit by a big broadcast. They were on a brand new station, right? This was Fox Sports 1 was, they were part of the flagship. They were part of what should what was supposed to bring people over. And it just didn't have the same carry. And they didn't have the same freedom. They didn't have the, the same allowance to do those silly things. It, it just wasn't the same. And I think... I think if we were to, to pour a little truth serum into Mr. Onrate's, you know, coffee in the morning and ask him the question again about, you know, do they regret moving to the States? And I think he answered it well, where 
it's not a full regret. I don't think he regrets it because I mean, I'm sure they got paid probably way more than they were ever going to get in Canada. You know, they furthered their exposure. They got in front of a lot more eyeballs. They were an American market, which is what everyone wants to do. So I don't know if regrets the same way, but I think looking back, they, if they were to decide to stay in Canada, I think they would decide to stay and just, you know, like I said, keep the train on the tracks and just keep it moving towards the destination that was, you know, amazing success because it didn't work when it moved, when they moved, came back either. Like he said, yeah, it, it wasn't the, the same producers were just different. It wasn't the same when they came back and it just, but I feel like when you look at it, when you look back at it, it's kind of worked out in a way that was perfect because now we have all those memories and it's not like the show fizzled out on its own. Right. It's not like the show continued on and it just started getting worse and worse. Like it ended and it ended at its absolute peak. And I don't count when they come back as like the same show. Cause it wasn't really ever the same, but like it, it kind of gives us that period of what a fantastic show. I started and it just stopped. I, right. I they started moved. thinking about this the other day and I don't think they were different people when they came back. I don't think that they were less funny. I don't think they were more sticky. I just think that it took so long for them to build the skits, to build, you know, the little Bobrovsky stuff, like to, to build those, the, the mustache check-ins with the slow camera on the Movembers. Like it took so long to make those kind of a household recognizable thing that you couldn't just hop right in and do it again after what, four years or five years, six years, whatever it was of missing it. You had to go back and start from scratch and that's just not who they were. They already had a name. They couldn't start from scratch, right? So if they, if they kept the train moving where they were, and they just, maybe you're right. Maybe they do fizzle out eventually and it, it just comes to a natural end. But we at least would have been able to experience that. We would have been able to see where it got to and maybe had, I, I don't know if Jay and Dan can get any bigger in this country, but it would be interesting to see if they did stick with it, how big they could have gotten. Uh, anyways, once again, thank you to Jay Onright for hopping on the show and talking to us. Uh, uh, really a dream for the both of us to, to sit there and uh, even though it was just an audio call we didn't get to see him on the other side of the zoom call it was fantastic to get to talk to someone who like you said really just had such an influence on not what we are doing right now but really um our whole youth growing up and 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 into our young adulthood so uh, thank you to jay on right for joining us uh, do you want to talk about the jays quickly here we've got about four minutes before we got to end off this segment and the blue jays I don't want to say they're fizzling out a little bit right now, but like, it doesn't seem like they're playing the greatest baseball as we go into the back end of June. Their starting rotation isn't doing the job that it did before. And I wonder if as amazing as Ross Stripling has been filling in for Hunjin Ryu. And we haven't talked about that yet either. Hunjin Ryu undergoing Tommy John surgery. It was successful, but probably going to be the end of his blue Jays career, right? That's, I mean, he, he could probably come back mid next season, but will the Jays want him? Will he be healthy? Will he even want to come back? Who knows? So now we're looking back at that contract thinking, you know, a four-year deal. Did it, you're going into it, you expected to maybe get three at, at the high end out of him, knowing his hit injury history. And he got two pretty solid years. The first year where he was, you know, a Cy Young contender getting Cy Young vote. So and now you put Ross Stripling in there, who's pitching very well, but I just wonder if they're missing him out of that bullpen as that long relief, because obviously Merriweather's not doing it. Thorne's not pitching as well. I mean, you get guys like 
Simber, who, you know, is great, but he's just a ground ball guy. Romano is not pitching the best right now. Jimmy Garcia was sat down with some elbow problems. I mean, you got George Springer, who's missing time with elbow problems. There's a lot of injuries going around, and the pitching staff isn't doing the job. The team's putting up seven runs, eight runs, six runs, but they're giving up nine runs, right? Yeah, I mean, you look back at the series against uh, the White Sox, right? Like, the losses that they had, they won 9-5 to five in the series finale, but before that, scored six runs, lost the ball game, uh, scored seven runs, lost the ball game. Before that, scored nine runs against the, or scored 10 runs against the Yankees to only win by one run, right? Like it is, it is getting to the point where you got to wonder when are they going to make a move? Are they going to make a move? That move has to be a pitcher. Does it not? Like that's the only thing that makes sense moving down the stretch. Well, there's an argument to be had that you definitely need, you kind you probably need a left-handed a bat, right? Like, Rymel Tapia is probably your left-handed bat here. And the problem is if you get against, you know, the Yankees in the playoffs, the Red Sox in the playoffs, all they need to do is throw a right-handed pitcher at you with a fastball and a slider. And it's pretty easy to defuse a fully right-handed hitter or hitting lineup. You need something to switch it up. If it's the Josh Bell, if it's an Ian Happ, if it's someone like that, that can just, just add a little extra, something for the, the, the opposing manager to think about that there's a lefty coming up. Cause right now, I mean, Biggio and Tapia just kind of aren't doing it for you. So I would argue that a left-handed bat and probably a swing and miss bullpen arm are the two things this team needs. I I think the rotation's fine. And it doesn't have to be an all-star left-handed bat, right? We're not, we're only talking about the big piece that's going to put you over the top has to be an all-star caliber. Uh, It's got to be someone better than you have. Yeah. And it just has to be someone, a a solid, consistent left-handed hitter that, like you said, you can throw in there, um, in the lineup and it's not just going to be another out from the left side. Like it's actually going to be someone that can get to a pitcher from the left side. So I think, I still think a pitcher is your next move is the move, right? Like, especially with Ryu gone already, some guys struggling, like you have to solidify um, a little bit of the rotation. If stripling is going to stay in there, fine. Then you need to go to the bullpen, right? Like I think the blue Jays need another arm. Um, to hold on to what looks like right now, if they want to um, go into the playoffs, it's going to be a wild card spot. The here's the thing. Do we think the blue Jays are going to make the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, I think they're a playoff team undoubtedly. I think they're a playoff team without having to change anything. I think that where they are right now is where they're going to finish. They're not going to catch the Yankees 10 back and they're probably not going to follow to the first wild card spot. It's more likely they're going to be hosting a three game series at Rogers center to start the playoffs. So you need three pitchers, was what I was getting to. You don't have to worry too much about Kikuchi or Stripling. You have to worry about who's going to start in those three games for you. And you got Manoa, you got Barrios, you got Gosman, and you can move you know, Kikuchi back to the pen. He gives you 97 from the left side. You can move Stripling back into kind of a long relief role. Maybe you go with a mix of you know, Brios and, and Stripling or something like that. Or maybe you go with Kikuchi and Strip back and forth and, and leave if one of those other guys can't go. Like You have options. You don't need guys to get you in. Let's thank our sponsors. Dave Middleton, Sunlight Financial Life is brighter under the sun. Gold line curling, the choice of champions. The Jack Jerry Memorial Dirt Bowls flag football action happening mid-August. Make sure you look up them on Facebook and Instagram to see where you can enter a team, where you can donate, all those things. Let's thank Jay Onright for joining us because it was a pleasure to get to talk to him. Hopefully we get to do it again. I'm going to thank Noah Smith. I'm thanking Tyler Middleton. And I was told to do the wrap quick. You did the rap quick. That was 27 seconds of rap, and we actually still have 30 more seconds to fill.
So Ottawa Senators, are they getting a new field? A new, or a new arena? Well, you all know what's funny is that uh, Sean Simpson tweeted out that it was going to be a retractable roof stadium and some news outlet actually put an article out about it. <laughs> Very much not true. <laughs> all right. How about uh, Gamma Montoya? Or, uh, wow. I can't believe I just butchered his. his... Guillermo? Guillermo. Montoya. Martinez. Do you just wow. mix all the Blue Jays coaches together? Yeah, I did. Is one Guillermo magnitude? Martinez. I did. I stumbled over it. Getting tossed before the first pitch. Uh, yeah, hilarious because he never goes out there for mound visits. So that was 100% just to tell off the umpiring crew. And it was very much deserved. Yep, I would have tossed him too. Well, I would have argued too. Home plate umpire the day before missed 29 pitches, some that were nowhere close. True, true. Anyways, now we're over our time. So thank you for joining us here on the Smitty Mitty Show this week on podcast form and across the TSMS radio network. And we'll see you next week here at the same time.